0: Well, tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, and we're going to finish this chapter, and I just want to welcome everybody here tonight that's uh, here and everybody on our podcast channel. If you ever miss any of these teachings, you can go to the podcast channel and get caught up. And tonight, in chapter 16, it's a remarkable chapter, and the title of tonight's teaching is called Relational, and it's Romans 16, and this chapter is something special because Paul was very relational. And everything he did. And Paul's going to greet people by their names in this chapter. And he'll also greet a couple of the churches, the home groups that we're meeting. But Paul will close with this revelation of the mystery hidden long ago. With the God's purpose in uniting the believing Jews and the Gentiles together as one within the body of Christ. And what a remarkable chapter it is. Paul addresses at least 26 people by name, and there's two unnamed people that he talks about. And he also greets these churches. But what's the significance in this? Because Paul was a soul winner, wasn't he? Paul was a soul winner, but Paul was also a friend maker. Paul also made friends. Paul was very relational and he was very intentional about his relationships. Because we're not supposed to live a life of isolation, are we? We're supposed to be with the body of Christ. And Paul had friends in the Lord. He appreciated them and he personally thanked them and greeted them within his ministry. And I discovered that the servants of God who are the most effective, are people who have friends. Because what they're doing is they're multiplying themselves. They're multiplying themselves in discipleship. Because they're growing in the Lord and everything they do. While there's a place for a secluded and isolated people, it's not in the church. And that's not what God says either. God says in Genesis 2.18, He says, Then the Lord God said... It is not good for a man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And we know who his helper was. But the point of this is that we're all sheep. And sheep flock together. We all stay together. We're in unity within the body of Christ. And this first list that Paul is going to talk about in his greetings is going to be the people that he's with. And then the second one, or excuse me, is the people he was with. The second one is the people that he's with right now. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 16. And and I'm gonna apologize right up front for some of these names. Are gonna it's gonna be a tough, okay? I'm gonna do my best. And if you hear me go, I got just read your Bible and you get to the okay. But I'm going to do my best to get those for you. So let's start in Romans 16, verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now, Paul starts with Phoebe. She's a member of this church in Centuria, and she was probably the woman that carried this letter to Rome. And this was a very important letter. And Centuria was a seaport in Corinth. So Phoebe was probably one on Paul's first mission trip there to Corinth. But she says she was a servant. The word translated literally means a deaconess which indicates that women held positions of ministry in the early church, just like they do today, according to the writings of the church fathers. And this deaconess, these deaconesses, they visited the sick, they helped young women grow in the Lord, and they tended to the poor. And How we need those Phoebes, right? How we need Phoebes within our church, these deaconesses within the church people that would say that my calling is to tend to those who are sick and poor and to build them up. You know, we're getting ready to start a hospital visitation ministry and we're looking for people that have that heart like Phoebe to visit people in the hospitals, to visit people in our nursing homes. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, come see me and we'll talk about that and we'll get you connected. But Paul confessed that Phoebe had been a helper to him, and he was, they, she was an encouragement to the church, and he's trying to encourage the church to take care of her. And Paul says to assist her because she's coming your way. She was a genuine disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a Christ follower, we should always receive other Christ followers. The word benefactor here says that benefactor really just literally means people who do good. She was doing good. People who used their time, their talents, their treasures, their giftings to serve without any expectations of anything in return. And she had strengthened the people with her giftings. And she strengthened Paul as well. Having known that Phoebe had done this, Paul was saying taking care of her. And now Phoebe Phoebe's also is a name for Diana. Evidently, Phoebe was named after the goddess Diana in Corinth, the most famous deity there. And if so, that says that she was not Jewish, and she was most likely a Gentile that had received Jesus Christ. As we move on to these other names, we're going to see Priscilla and Aquila, which we have read about them in the book of Acts. It says this in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. When Paul first came to Corinth, he was introduced to Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were tent makers like himself. In Acts 18.26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogues. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Paul left Corinth for Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla accompanied him. And they were obviously co-workers in Christ. And Paul, as he made his way further north, Aquila and Priscilla remained in Ephesus where they were influential in the salvation of Apollos who was one of the most powerful preachers of the early church. As evident with this verse, Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Rome and some have suggested that Paul had sent them ahead to set the stage for what was going to happen in Rome for his journey there. And it's interesting, if you ever read about Aquila, Priscilla, and Aquila, that there are six times that this couple are mentioned in the Bible. And Priscilla's name is first four of those times. So what's the significance in that? What's the significance? Well, think about this. Even in today's society, isn't the man's name usually said first? like wedding invitations, stuff like that. It's usually the man's name is mentioned first. But Priscilla seemed to be the one who had a more dynamic and powerful ministry. She was very helpful within the church. They traveled together, and it seemed, though, Aquila realized his wife's gifting. She had this special gift, a beautiful gift. He allowed her to facilitate those gifts, and he was not threatened by those gifts at all. The point I'd like to make about this is this we should be confident in our own gifting and not be threatened or jealous or envious of others. God has gifted each one of us with a gift that we have for you. Use it. Don't be jealous about what somebody else has, thinking, oh, I'd like to have that. No, God's given you what He wants you to have use that. And then in verse 4, it says, they risked their lives for me. Not only only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. We're not really sure what this refers to, but we know that there was probably some kind of issue there. And Paul makes it very clear that they put their lives on the line for the church to take care of them. In verse 5, it says, greet also the churches that meet at their house. As we through, see through these travels with Priscilla and Aquila, you see a pattern begin to unfold with their lives. This was the church they started. They were meeting. They were worshiping. And they were doing this in their homes. It was a fellowship in someone's home. Spreading the new good news through small groups. Just like we have home groups here. It was great. Not only did they work together by day, making tents, but they also opened their homes at night. And I hope that's true for us as well, that we would open up our homes for the church to meet. And how do we do this? Through our home groups. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 20. He said this, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. You've likely heard this verse quoted a few times during small groups, church services, or prayer service services where two or more are gathered is most commonly, commonly quoted for small group gatherings. But the point here is this. God is still with us even though there might be only a few people gathered. Wherever we're at, God is still with us. And that's our hope here at the church For us to have more home groups, that we would feel God's presence no matter how small the group is, whether you're ministering to one or two people, it doesn't matter. That's how many people God put there for you to minister to. And we're trying to have more groups come this fall. We've been praying about that. It's times when people can come together as a church family in someone's home to worship and pray, to have fellowship and study the Word of God. And I know there's nothing more difficult than doing a home group. We've done home groups before, and they're difficult. When we bring people into our homes, the enemy is right there ready and willing to stop that with everything all of a sudden the house isn't clean this isn't going on so what do we do let's just cancel the group tonight that's the enemy that's not from god and i know these struggles i know the battle and i know it's difficult but i want you to i want you to ask god for wisdom to seek god's wisdom and discernment over this and ask for the guidance so that you'll be strengthened So that all of us together can be united and we can focus on growing the church body together. Sharing in our groups, sharing our lives together. You know, it doesn't have to mean reading 15 chapters tonight. It can be as simple as just sharing a story, being a friend, being relational like Paul was. Paul was relational with people. And that's what we're called to do as well. We're called to invite people into our homes to show hospitality to them. And if God is stirring your heart right now for groups, come see me sometime. I'd love to talk to you about it and get started. Then it says this, Greet my dear friend Epinus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Epinus was Paul's first convert, and I've discovered that as we go along our walk and we talk to people and we share the love of Christ for them, there's nothing more exciting than the first person that we lead to Christ, is there? That first person that we tell about Christ and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sins, they receive the Lord and they come to the saving grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. There's nothing more exciting. And Paul recognized that as well. And then in verse six, it says, greet Mary who worked very hard for you, The name Mary is used six times, different times, for ladies in the New Testament. And we don't know much about her except for that she worked very hard. She worked very hard. Now we're going to get into some names, so hopefully I'm going to get them right. Bear with me on this, okay? Verse 7. Greet Andrakes and Juna... My fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. They were in prison, and they built a relationship. They had a bond. They were relational in prison. He was commending them on their faith, the priority of their faith, to be in Christ while they were in prison. And in verse 8, it says, Greet, O Pleiatas, my dear friend in the Lord, Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stasius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. These were all common slave names. They were found in these imperial households. And Paul says, my dear friend in the Lord with them. What an expression that he had there. What an expression of Christian affection to them. What Paul is saying, they were outstanding in their labor to our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to be that? Wouldn't that be a great title for us, that we were outstanding in our service to the Lord? But they were approved by Christ. So how can we be approved by Christ? In 2 Timothy, it says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. What does this mean to show yourself to prove? Well, we're doing it right now, aren't we? We're doing it right now. We're studying the scriptures. We're handling the word accurately and correctly in our lives, showing ourselves to be approved by God. Paul's saying, "Do your best. It's tried and true. Speak the truth in love." We learn that, and there's no need to be ashamed. No need to be ashamed of your work, your service. Or the word Romans 1.16, he covers this and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to first the Jew and also to the Greek. This reminds us we have a distinct calling and purpose to present ourselves to God as being approved, how we handle his word. And this word used more accurately just shows that we have a good service to our Lord. It's an act of service. Remember in Romans 12, 1, that our act of service being a living sacrifice to our Lord? How do we do that? We concentrate on serving God. We concentrate on doing our best for God and work that we're not ashamed of. We do work for the Lord, not for men. So when you're working, remember who you're working for. We're serving our Lord, laying out the plain and triple uh, truth to people and staying clear of unwholesome talk. Do we do that? What about around the coffee machine at work or the water cooler, right? we got to try to stay away from that unwholesome talk. But words are just mere words if they're not backed by a godly life. If it's not back on how we live, what we say means nothing. So what's the lesson that we're learning here from Timothy? It's to keep focused and pay attention to your own life and your ministry. What you're doing, not about what other people are doing. Focus on your ministry. Being diligent to present yourself to God as being approved. A worker who is not ashamed of the work he's doing. And using God's word correctly in our lives. Being diligent. Paul often had to extort Timothy. give him to courage and action. Historians tell. And then the next verse it says this. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Historians tell us that Aristopolis was the grandson of Herod the Great, the one who tried to annihilate Jesus by slaughtering all the Jewish males under two years of age. He was the one who killed his sons and murdered his wife and would kill anyone that was a threat to his power. And yet his grandson is numbered here among the households of faith. In verse 11 it says, Great Herodon, my fellow Jew, greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. In this verse, Herodon being a derivative of Herod, this verse could indicate that Paul himself was possibly related to Herod. And if this is true, the implications are very intriguing. For us, we know that Paul was a very driven man before his conversion, wasn't he? Paul said, I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. Concerning the law, I was blameless. In Philippians 3.6, it says this, As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. His zeal in standing up for the laws of Judaism. He was enraged when he felt that Judaism was being threatened by this new group called Christians. He was enraged. What made Paul so zealous for righteousness could be that maybe he was embarrassed because he was linked to Herod. I think it's a very real possibility, and if that's so, Paul now models out the way for us how we should react and respond to our family members. When someone in our family doesn't do something You see, Paul doesn't go around saying, hey, I'm from a dysfunctional family and I need therapy. He didn't say anything to that. No, he took off in the opposite direction. I'm going to live for God. And even though Paul was initially misdirected in his zeal for God and his heart, God corrected him on the road to Damascus. And I believe in this time in which we live, People like to blame their problems on other people. We like to blame them on other family members. And what we see Paul doing here is very refreshing to that. He's practically modeling out to each and every one of us the way we should handle our lives when it comes to our families. In Philippians 3.13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Everyone has family and pain in their past. The key is to move forward as a new creation in Christ. Leave the past in the past. If you keep on looking in that rearview mirror, you're going to crash. Move forward as that new creation in Christ. Forget about the things that are behind and press on towards the calling which Christ has given each one of us. Verse 12 says this. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Paris, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. This Tryphena and Tryphosa are perhaps sisters and they're possibly twins. Because it was common in those days to have that root, this tri, triphena and triphosa, that shows that they were possibly twins. But what their names mean are dainty and delicate. Right? And like Mary in the previous verse, it's even dainty and delicate women. They rolled up their sleeves for the sake of kingdom work. And that's what we all need to do. Roll up our sleeves for kingdom work. Paris being a A feminine name, this means a Persian woman. And Paul was speaking of her, yet this other woman that served alongside of him and serving the Lord. And now verse 13, it says this. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Rufus seems to be the same Rufus spoken of at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Mark 15, 21, it says this. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Rufus' father was Simeon of Cyrene, the one who came up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And when he lined up along this road to see what was going on, the road that Christ would follow on Good Friday. He watched the proceedings, no doubt straining to see what was going on, squinting his eyes to see everything. But what suddenly happened was a man collapsed in front of him with the cross. And instead of making him carry that cross and the burden any farther, a soldier placed his spear on the shoulder of Simon Cyrene saying, You take the cross. Simon must have thought, oh, what a catastrophe. I've come to celebrate the Passover. Now I'm going to be defiled by associating with a criminal. But what he discovered, in fact, was a great opportunity and it was a blessing because something happened to Simon when he took up the cross. Could it be that he understood the prophecy of Isaiah 9-6, which says the government shall be upon his shoulders? The government of what? The government of the cross. As Simon carried the cross of Christ, he was in a sense governing in a way he had never anticipated and wanted to. He didn't want to carry that cross, but he eventually carried the cross and he was converted and saved. The one who carried the cross was saved. Not only did Simon get saved, but it infers that his wife did as well. You might be asking, what's the point? What's the point here? Well, Jesus said this. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. As you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying, Lord, if there's any other way to do this, take this cup from me but there wasn't another way. It was God's will for Jesus to take up his cross. And when we take up our cross, that's God's will being done in our lives, not our own. It says the point is taking up our cross, God's will be done in our life. It's not our own. It's his will Jesus didn't say this because he wanted us to be miserable or burdened. He didn't say this because he wanted us to squirm or to suffer. He said this because he wanted to teach us this very important truth, that the only way that we can really have happiness and fulfillment in this life is to die to ourselves and live for Christ. The more you live for yourself, the more you focus on yourself, the more concentrated you'll be and discouraged and defeated you'll get. Jesus said this in John 10.10. It says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The way to have an abundant life is to take up your cross, God's will being done in your lives, being relational with God and other people. God's will being done, not ours in our lives. In verse 14, it says, Greet, Asikentras, and Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. These are all great names, and they're they're all lumped together like these brothers all lived in the same place. And then verse 15, it says, Greet Florigus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. This Flologus was a great name. It comes from the word Philos or Logos, which means the lover of the word. There's no further identification of any of these, but we do know that they were slaves or they were freed men within the Roman church. And now he goes on with this in verse 16. It says, Greet one another. With a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Paul is saying here that a kiss is not just a kiss, it's not just an ordinary kiss, it's a holy kiss. In some churches, this is part of their regular worship service, and it's still practiced today. But what Paul's trying to tell us here is that when we express our greetings, we need to express them as being genuine and having affection. Right now, what do we do? Sometimes we shake hands, but what's most time, what are we doing? We're bumping knuckles, right? We're bumping, yeah, we're bumping knuckles, right? That's what we do. And Paul would say, well, I want to encourage you, whatever you're doing there, whatever your culture is and how you're greeting people, I want to encourage you that if you're bumping fists, bump fists with a holy fist. Bump them. That's what he's getting at. Whatever culturally you're doing, whatever you, however you're showing your camaraderie or your affection to one another, just make it holy. The point here is this. Let your greetings be genuine and let your affection overflow in those greetings. Don't just, eh, how are you? Be affection, be a genuine with this. Paul now, after giving this greeting of a holy kiss, to his friends, now gives a warning to the, of foes to avoid. In verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way. Everybody, anybody have that going on? No obstacles? Everybody's straight? Right, right. There's obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Not everyone was working for Paul spreading the gospel. He's saying, remember what you've learned, what you've been taught, put into practice. Because there are people out there with selfish reasons and selfish ambitions. They're trying to divide the church by teachings that are false. These people were probably the Judaizers. They were the ones that were giving Paul the trouble. Instead of preaching the truth, these men were spreading their own religious propaganda and using deceit and clever speeches. They were living for themselves their own appetites. They weren't living for the Lord. They were living for their own purposes. And we have that same problem today, don't we? Christians, we need to be aware of false teachings that come to our front door, that come through the mail, that come in magazines, books, social media, and TV. These things are trying to convince us of different teachings. And we know the truth. We've been taught the truth. And we live by the truth. Amen? We live by God's word, not the explanations of the world. They're going after people who are, don't know the truth. They're unsuspecting. And Paul gives us two instructions about this, and they are very, very simple. The first one is identify them, mark them out. The second one, avoid them, okay? Avoid them. Very simple. Identify what they are and then avoid them. It's a matter of obedience to our Lord, knowing the Word of God. And maintaining a consistent testimony in our lives. In verse 19 it says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Be wise about spiritual matters, but simple or naive concerning evil words. Wise about what is good. Christians are to be experts in what's good, aren't we? We're supposed to be experts in doing good. In Matthew 10, 16, it says this, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. There's the warning. Live with an entirely different mindset than that of this world. Live with a mindset of eternity. Don't live with a mindset of this world. And then in verse 20, it says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This verse says that soon, very soon, that false teachers who really come from Satan, they shall be defeated. And Paul is encouraging the Romans to hold on, to walk in a manner that is worthy of their calling and to resist evil. And there's also an assurance for us Christ followers that soon, as believers, we will share in the victory when Satan is finally crushed and defeated. In verse 21, it says, Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you as do Lucius, Jesus and Celestopater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertus who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I... I and the whole church here in Joy sends you his greeting. Timothy was his co-worker. And what a roll call here of heroes. And Timothy is often mentioned in these. In Paul's epistles, Paul's son in faith was Timothy. Timothy was with him in these difficult places. And Tetris was Paul's secretary. He was the one that wrote down these things for him. And these last two names, the one means three And then Gaius means four. These guys were slaves. In those days, slaves were only referred to by numbers. They they didn't have an identity. They were only referred to as numbers. And he talks about their Christian hospitality that they have because it was uncommon for them to have this. The significance here is because these men were brought into the kingdom of Christ. They were God-fearing men. And sometimes don't we feel like just a number? Sometimes when we're at work, we feel like, oh, I'm just a number, right? Sometimes we feel like we're just that number that nobody cares and nobody takes note of us. But I want to assure you that God knows who you are. He doesn't just look at you as a number, or I should say he has your number. And as you give yourself to him and you walk with him, you'll find significance in Christ as a new creation in him. Then it says, Eratus, who is the city's director of public works and our brother Qantas, sent you their greeting. Erastus probably was a treasurer. Now to him who was able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages In Jude, Jude 24, it says this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. What uplifting is that? The gospel that Paul received was received directly to him from Jesus Christ. The truth came directly from Jesus. In Galatians 1.12 says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul said the gospel that I've received, the gospel that I preach, is the truth and it came directly from Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the gospel that we preach. In verse 26, it says this, But now, revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of an eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Revealed and made known, this is the gospel as it goes global, for the whole world to hear the gospel. In this closing benediction, it Benediction. It reflects his special ministry to the Gentiles. The mystery of God's plan, his purpose of uniting the Jews and Gentiles together in one body of Christ. Both the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome needed to know this. They needed to know what God's purpose was. They needed to be established in the truth. And Paul explains that. He explains that God's salvation was for everyone so that they would be established in the truth. And sometimes we can't share the truth because we don't know it. But when we know the truth, we can share with others what we have. We can't share what we don't have with someone. And this makes us more stable in our faith, and it's more exciting to share the love of Christ with others. Church, it's not about religion, it's not about a program, it's not about a 12-step program or us trying to be better or us trying to do good or be good enough. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or to make good people better. He came so dead men would be living in Christ. He came so that we would be alive in Christ. And this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. Jesus will establish you because he lives in you. And what a comfort that is to us, that the Holy Spirit is in us and with us always, no matter what. And in verse 27, to, to the only wise God be glory forever through Christ Jesus. Amen. Keeping the unity, God be the glory. This is is the ultimate purpose in our lives, isn't it? To glorify God. And everything we do, spreading the gospel until the whole world hears it. Letting go of our past, taking up our cross, letting God's will be done in our life, identifying and avoiding false teachings, and live live with a different mindset than the world. Live with a mindset of eternity allowing your greetings to be genuine and affectionate. And this is how we can live an abundant life in Jesus Christ. Being relational with our fellow Christ followers and the non-believing world. You know, we've said this before, when our relationship with Christ is right, all our relationships will be good. Every one of them. And this is the way that we have an abundant and full life in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words tonight, the greetings to these people and what it means for us to be relational like Paul, not only to win souls, but to make friends, to make disciples, to multiply ourselves for your kingdom's glory. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, I want to give them an opportunity. Just pray this prayer. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I repent of those sins. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to have an abundant life. I want your will to be done in my life. Thank you for your son. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.